Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, welcome to a summer special edition of Stargazing. Uh, today we have Derek Newmeyer and Taylor Bear joining us to talk about drafts, prospects, camps, uh, who knows what else. Uh, there's a lot of Dallas Stars news out there and we're there to talk about it. So uh, how's the summer going, Derek? How's the summer going, Taylor? Uh, it's going pretty well. I, I've reached a nice uh, relaxing point in my summer. Uh, my, uh, my April, my May, and my June are usually... Uh, pretty busy these days with uh, with the drafts and the lead up to the draft. Uh, for those who don't know, I am the assistant director of scouting with McKean's Hockey. So the spring and into the summer is always a busy time for me. But I, uh, I kind of relish my time in early July because I get to take a bit of a break from it. Uh, you know, not completely. I'm still happy to do a podcast here or there, for example. But yeah, I've been enjoying a bit of a bit of break from hockey over the last little bit. But I'm excited to be here tonight. And, and, and Taylor, you're uh, you're just plugging away. So uh, prospects camp and uh, and everything else that's going on with our joyous venture here at Defending Big D. I don't know what an off season is, <laughs> but no, it's good. Um, yeah, I actually uh, got to attend the draft this year in person. So maybe offer up a little insight from the first round pick or the first round. Dallas didn't pick in the first round, uh, but I can tell you what the first round was like when you're sitting there without a pick. But, you know, we also got to talk to some of the the draftees that the team took this season, those that were uh, – in attendance in Nashville and so yeah so we can talk a little bit about how that goes and and kind of the whirlwind that happens behind the scenes when these guys get drafted so should be a fun talk well let's start off a little bit because I think uh, I I think there was some uh, some interest uh, some controversies here related to our uh, second round pick Uh, that's Tristan Bertucci and then, uh, and and there were some concerns about that. But then there was a uh, oh, lots of rejoicing then in the fourth round when we when we picked up Aaron Manik. What is it, Manishin? So uh, what what do you think, Derek? Uh, How did we do on the D there? Yeah, I think it was a really good pick. Um, overall, I would say that the Stars did a pretty good job with uh, the picks that they had. Obviously, they were limited by not being able to pick in the first round, not being able to pick uh, their make their first selection until 61st overall, and then not a lot of uh, picks to make in the later rounds. But I think uh, the the Bertucci pick was totally fine. I think it made a lot of sense for where they got him, and it's also the type of pick that could look better down the road. So with us at McKean's Hockey, you know, Bertucci was kind of where we had him. We had him at 58 on our board. He went 61st, so, you know, that's right in line. There were some other players that we had higher on our list that were still available for the Stars. So, you know, maybe there's a slight chance that 
someone that was still available ends up outplaying Bertucci. But overall, there's a lot to like about him as a player. Um, in some ways, I would say he's a little bit like a Thomas Harley. In terms of tools, playing style, there there are similarities there. You've got a guy who's got good size with about six foot two, but he's still kind of growing into his body. Uh, Harley was the same way at his draft year, really scrawny, but he's got good skating ability. Uh, good puck skill. He's just the type of player that can really drive the play really, really well from the back end, but can do it with the size and the length that kind of lends itself really well to the modern game. You know, he doesn't need to have his feet moving a mile a minute because he's a smaller guy and, you know, he has to worry about escaping pressure. He's He's got a very calm demeanor to how he plays, really good at moving the puck. Um, there are some concerns with Bertucci's decision-making at times, sometimes his defensive awareness, but, but this is a player with a lot of long-term upside. You know, he grew a lot this season in terms of his on-ice impact. Like, from the start of the season to the end, he was a much, much better player. And you always want to see that sort of trajectory in a prospect. And he's a guy who's in a really good situation with Flint over the next couple of years. He's probably going to be playing on their top pair as early as next season. He's going to be getting a lot of minutes probably running their top power play like he did this year, probably playing more on the penalty kill. So he's in a good position to really grow uh, into his game in the coming years. And he's a guy who genuinely has top 4D upside at the NHL level. So I think it's a really solid pick for the Stars. And it's a pick that, you know, it definitely has the ability to look good down the road if he's able to surpass a lot of the safer players who are picked ahead of him. The only thing I will say about Tristan Bertucci, when we saw him in Nashville after he'd been drafted, I don't know if he was just starstruck and, oh, my gosh, it happened or what, but he he definitely did not win my interview of the night award. And even when I talked to him at training or at development camp, he tended to keep his answers kind of short and very, very hockey cliched. So I'd like to hope that, you know, maybe as he grows in his game, like that side of things will change because from all outside perspective, it, it seems like he's a fairly, you know, qualified guy to have on your team and, and brings a lot of upside. And if he ever makes it to the NHL, he's going to have to talk to the media sometimes. So Maybe uh, maybe some of that development will also be a little media training <laughs> to go with it. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a little bit of a quiet guy from what I understand. Um, he's, he doesn't play in my region. I haven't had a chance to talk to him in person. But from what I've read and heard about him, he's, he's a little bit reserved, a little bit maybe introverted. And sometimes you kind of see that in his play on the ice. He can be a little reserved, sometimes a little timid with how he plays which is odd because he's a guy who often has the puck on his stick a lot. Sometimes you want to see him come out of his shell a little bit more, both on and off the ice by the sounds of it. So, yeah, hopefully that's something that can kind of grow in, in his game once he, you know, starts to develop a little more confidence and, you know, grows up a little bit and kind of comes out of his shell. Well, well, and just for a little context here, you know, what, what does Flint have this coming year? Uh, you know, is, is this going to be a pretty good team that he's playing on? It'll be a good team. Um, it's hard to kind of project them as one of the top teams in the league. I don't know if I'd go that far. But they're a team with NHL draft picks on it, uh, not just Bertucci, but some other guys. Uh, Gavin Hayes is pricked, picked pretty high by the Chicago Blackhawks last draft. Uh, Colson Petrie was pricked uh, pretty high this year. Uh, Ethan Hay and Nathaniel Day 
also got picked this year. So they're a team that has the ability to make some noise in the next couple of years. Uh, maybe not this upcoming season, but, you know, if everything goes well with four different players who are all picked this year, maybe in two years from now, they could be a team that contends for a title. But, yeah, they're not going to be a, a bottom feeder or anything like that. Okay, any, anything else on Bertucci? Um because we do, we do have some. Uh, we do have a bunch to go through today. How about, how about Manetian? Manetian. Manetian. So thank Eric you, thank you, Taylor. <laughs> we we got pronunciations and, and immediately screwed him up. I'm gonna call him by his first name because, for one, I have been mispronouncing his last name since day one, um, since he was drafted, uh, and that's just on me, and it's a mental block I need to get over. But the thing about him that I enjoyed the most on the draft floor was. How freaking excited this kid was to be drafted into Dallas. He was like, I love Dallas. My cousin is going to, to SMU. I have been there a couple of times. I just love the South, which was really funny because when I tweeted that, a lot of people said Texas isn't the South. And so that's a fun um, debate for another day. But he was just so pumped. And he said that it was a team that he talked to a lot at the combine in Buffalo prior to the draft. And so he had a good feeling that maybe he was on Dallas's radar. And then he, he was just, he's just so excited and had probably one of the biggest grins on his face throughout the entire development camp. He was just so happy to be here. And the great thing about him or what I found was really funny is he's very engaging he could definitely become a fan favorite, in my opinion, just because of how open and just like hard on the sleeve he kind of was. He has a truck, so he does feel like he's going to fit into Texas really well. So he's pretty excited to uh, go back to juniors, work on his game, but, um, you know, very excited about the chance to potentially be in Dallas someday. So, Derek, what do you think his long-term outlook looks like? So he's a player that, actually fell a lot on a lot of boards. And it wasn't just us at McKean's. Um, a lot of places had him a lot higher, uh, more as a second rounder or even a third rounder. So the fact that Dallas got him in the fourth round is a pick that seems like it has a lot of value to it. So he's an interesting guy because when you watch him play, you see a lot of tools. He's very, very mobile from the back end, really good at the puck on his stick. He can play quick. He can move the puck quickly. So you kind of get a good idea of what sort of player he is and what his kind of long-term upside is. You know, He's going to be a guy who can transition the puck out of the defensive zone, get it up the ice, defend the rush with his feet as opposed to being like a physical bruiser because he's not the biggest of guys. He's not too small, but he's the type of guy who's going to rely on his skating more than anything else. And it's interesting that he fell a little bit because when you watch him play, you see all these tools and you, you see what he's good at and what he can do. But the, the points didn't really come for him this year. He really did not, you know, end up with a lot of point totals, not, not a lot of goals, not a lot of assists, which was kind of a puzzle to, to figure out. Because when you watched him, you think he would, should be doing more, or ending up more on the score sheet, but it just didn't work out that way for some reason. So you wonder if that's, maybe why he slid a little bit. But when you look at what he can do, he's the type of player where the points should come. 
I don't know if he's ever going to be a type of guy who can say quarterback a uh, top power play, but at the NHL level, if you're talking potential upside, he should be a guy who could score, you know, maybe 30, 40 points in a season, work on the second power play unit, but more of a more of a, a puck transporter, a transition guy, a play driver from the back end. So he, he's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on because usually when you're scouting these players, if a guy has visible tools, the points usually follow. But you get these odd cases where it's not the case, and it's sometimes the other way around, where a guy looks like he doesn't have any discernible skills, but he just keeps ending up on the point sheet. And you get these other guys who, you know, they have a lot of tools and they look really skilled, but the points don't get there. So these are types of guys that you want to keep a a close eye on moving forward. But overall, for where the Stars got him in the fourth round, I think they did a really, really good job with this pick. I think for him, too, he was one of a couple of guys that Dallas ended up drafting that it sounded like maybe struggled to start the year, but finished the the season strong. Like if you looked at his points, I think the majority of them came in the back half of the season. Um, And it was really interesting when we talked to the head scout for the stars at the end of the draft, he, he spoke with the media and Basically, I asked him, you know, why does it seem like a lot of these guys, you know, they kind of improved over the season? Is that something you specifically are looking for because it shows potential growth and it's, you know, and like that they can take the lessons and and apply them? Or is that kind of like a recency bias more than anything, trying to get into their heads a little bit? And they said it's a little bit of both. Like sometimes you're scouting a guy and the last time you see them, that's like your last impression of them. Um, And he said that about Aram specifically, I think he said that it was more, I think, how the needs of other teams around them kind of like there was a lot of really weirdness, I think, in the in the draft this year, or at least that's kind of the sense I got on the draft floor was that some teams were going a little bit like deeper on picks than than others had them on their boards. And so like for Dallas, they had. They had Aram, I believe he said, rated as a late first rounder, even early second rounder, and he fell to four. Yeah, it's, it's it's it was a bit of a weird draft, and you kind of try and have to keep uh, tabs on the way things are going. Like, I think teams leaned a little bit more into size this year. Like, you saw some big defensemen, like defensive defensemen, go in the second round that really were not expected to, including one of Aram's teammates, a guy named Brady Cleveland. No one was really expecting him to go so high. Detroit kind of reached to grab him. Maybe there's a bit of recency bias there with regards to how Vegas just won the cup, you know, with their blue line, which was big, but also mobile and, you know, competent at moving the puck. So yeah, maybe that tied into what Joe McDonnell was saying about need where teams were maybe looking for size more or maybe guaranteed offensive upside, which Aram doesn't quite have. It might be a little bit more of a mystery there. So yeah, I could certainly see where he's coming from with that answer, but yeah, I, I can also see why the stars would be happy to get him. Yeah, and I think you saw some of that with goaltenders coming off the board much earlier and much more rapidly than than I've seen in the past. And it's almost like you get on a roll and you start losing it and you say, I need a I need a big defender and they're all going away. So I better take it while I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely something that happens. That's that run on goalies is the big one. But I think it also happened with a few other players and or types of players this year as well. Speaking of goaltenders, Dallas took a a German goaltender, Arno Diefensi, I believe is how they said his his last name is pronounced. But I'm 
almost assuredly butchering it. But what do you know about him? Because I feel like when he was drafted, everybody was kind of like, huh, okay. And then it just moved on along. So it's funny. So over at McKean's, we have a scout who's been with us for a while, and he's based in Germany. And he actually fought to have uh, Arno ranked on our board. And it's funny how close he got to the real thing. So we we had McKean's ranked him 154, and Dallas picked him 157. So I think that looks pretty cool for McKean's with regards to being right almost on the money there. And it looks like we were the only place that ranked him. So it's a bit of an interesting thing there. I remember watching him a little bit at prior tournaments like a couple years ago, but it's hard with watching Germany internationally because they're usually badly outgunned. It's not an easy team to play goalie for at the international level. But what I like about this pick, well, there's a couple things. So obviously you've got size, which is always a built-in advantage for goaltenders. You know, you can't just, you know, the guy still has to be able to stop the puck. He still has to understand the position. He still has to track the play sizes and everything, but it's a good start. But what I like about him is he cut his teeth at the pro level in Germany this year. You know, he played 23 games during the regular season and ended up being their go-to guy in the playoffs and won them a couple rounds, which was pretty cool. You know, it's not the sort of thing you see a young goalie do at kind of any professional level. It's pretty rare. And it's, it's worth mentioning that with the German league, it's actually getting a lot better. It's made a lot of progress over the last few years. It's become a place that a lot of former NHLers go to play. You know, sometimes they're just fourth-line guys, but they're still guys that were good enough to play in the NHL. You know, they're they're helping grow the game in Germany. And he plays for a, a program called Adler Mannheim, which is a pretty good program, one of the better teams in the league. So the fact that he was playing on a good team, like a, an existing or an established franchise, you know, starting for them in the playoffs, winning them series. That's a really, really good sign. I haven't had a chance, unfortunately, to go back and watch him yet in those games and see how he's played. But just understanding the context of what he was doing at the end of this season, it's a really good sign. And he's actually pretty old for this draft. I think he's 21 right now. He turned 21 before the draft. So he's a lot older than a lot of the other guys being picked so far. But if you look at a guy who's 21 and, you know, winning playoff series in a, in a professional league, that's pretty good. You kind of, you, there's a little bit less uh, mystery about him because he's already gotten this far and you know where he is at this point in his development. And, you know, winning in the playoffs at 21 as a goalie, that's a pretty good place to be for 21 years old. He also has a very high ability to double as a romance novel model. Have you seen his hair? <laughs> yes, I have. It's fantastic. Oh, see, you're, you're telling me, I mean, Remy Poirier kind of does that same thing. We may have a have a battle there as well. I think I might have read something that Arno actually cut his hair for a charity or something to that effect around the time of the draft. So he might need to grow it back unless he already had that. And Was he at the development camp, Taylor? He was. Okay, so he did grow some of it back then. The poor kid had seemingly a, a pretty interesting time. I think it was like he obviously didn't come over for the draft because a lot of a lot of guys – a lot of agents, because of the way that the drafts can go, a lot of times the only guys that are in attendance are usually those that are anticipated to go in the first, maybe the second round. But anybody who's kind of projected to go after that, they they tend to discourage from attending. I think, you know, more so that you're not sitting there waiting to hear your name called and then it never gets called. So he didn't come to Nashville. And then I think when he was drafted, 
you know, it was kind of a tight turnaround. Dallas drafted him on Thursday and development camp started on Saturday morning. Apparently there is a lot of travel involved getting somebody to Dallas from Germany kind of last minute. And I think it ended up being a 24 hour trek for him to get over. So it was quite, quite a time. So he actually was only on the ice for the last two days because when he got in, they wanted to keep him off the ice, probably because the guy had to have been just a zombie by that point with all that travel. But um, he actually did get in to some of the battle drills that they did at the end. And y'all, it is so funny when people ask me, what did you think about such and such in development camp? And I'm like, they did drills. So that's my answer. They did drills. They looked exactly like they should against their peer set doing drills. <laughs> what that means for their ability to make an NHL roster, not a clue. Because you're not comparing them to anybody that's at an NHL level. Now, obviously, some guys stand out more than others. Um, some you would expect to, like a Maverick Bork who's been through development camp with Dallas a couple of times. You know, Logan Stankoven in those battle drills completely separated himself because that's just the type of guy that he is and the type of player he is. But there's, it's just, there's not a lot to glean, in my opinion. I got more out of being able to talk to the stars skating coach and being able to say like, I noticed this about this guy's skating stride. Is that a concern? Is that something that you're trying to get out of their game? So for me, that's more, more about what it is, is, is it's for them to assess skills, but I digress, but yes, he was there. Um, and he looked good. I think the fact that they will be able to have Ben Bishop in contact with him and then especially when he makes the jump over to North America and Ben Bishop now being in this in the stars front office as a player development guy he's probably a guy that will definitely benefit from that let's talk about Brad Gardner a little bit here and then uh then we'll get a word in from our sponsors any 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 thoughts here on uh on on the kid from the 67th yeah so so brad was ranked at mckean's uh ranked at a lot of the other um independent outlets uh maybe not quite as high as as he went uh we had him as more of like a fourth or fifth rounder but really once you start getting out of the second round there's not that much difference from three to five or from five to three but he's a guy that you know so i've talked to some scouts of ours in in the ohl that they like him and they see the upside there so he's a guy that might have been hidden a little bit this year so he started the year down the lineup in in ottawa on the 67s but he did play his way up like he's a guy that kept earning more and more minutes for himself because he kept playing so well and there there are different things to like about him he's very versatile you know, you can play a bit of an offensive game. You can play a defensive matchup game. You can play center. I think he's a right shot center, which adds a little bit of extra value there. Uh, he's not the smallest guy. He's not the biggest guy. He's a good skater, but maybe not a great skater. He's just very well-rounded. And he's got NHL bloodlines, which is also always an advantage. His dad played in the NHL. And Ottawa is a pretty good program. They've done a good job of developing prospects over the last few years. They're not the London Knights or anything, but they've got a pretty good reputation. They're they're a team that NHL teams trust with regards to their development environment. So um, I I don't have the best book on Gardner Gardner myself. I didn't get to watch him quite as much as I would have liked to. But 
you like the the profile here. Like I said, he's a guy that played his way up that Ottawa lineup because he was just, you know, they were forced to play him more because he kept providing so much value to that team and earning his minutes, which is always a good sign. And he kind of came into the season without much fanfare. He wasn't on a lot of radar. So the fact that he was able to really play his way up and establish himself as at least a, a you know, a, a core piece on a team at this level is certainly a good sign. And you got to give the Stars a little bit of leeway with regards to that region. You know, that's where Joe McDonnell is based out of. And with regards to picks like Jason Robertson and Wyatt Johnston, like the Stars have a pretty good feel for the OHL. They don't hit on 100% of the picks, but they've had some really, really big wins uh, out of that league. So if they're picking a guy higher out of the OHL, it means they've got a pretty strong hunch. And when they've got a pretty strong hunch on a player at the OHL, you have to give them a lot of benefit of the doubt. Well, I want to bring you guys a story from the draft that you may not have heard yet, but Saad from The Athletic, for those who don't have a subscription and maybe didn't see this, wrote a whole story about how two Dallas Stars scouts probably endured one of the worst travel nightmares that we have all faced before, and that is canceled flights due to bad weather and not being able to get to your destination on time. That's how they ended up in a car that then got hit by a very large truck and led to this whole cross-country road trip in an RV, probably something straight out of a movie that you could never have scripted in any other way. But the thing about it is, is I couldn't help but think about our friends over at Greening Law. You know, if they had access to to those guys, you know, they'd be able to make sure that they got what they deserve from car accidents, not leaving any money for medical bills or lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered. And instead, just take the insurance company's word that they were not at fault or they were at fault. So it's really silly. When you're in a car accident, you should definitely call Robert Greening over at Greening Law. Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies, as well as big fans of the stars and your crew here at Defending Big D. Consultations are free, so you don't have anything to lose. There's no hourly attorney's fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a perfect situation to call Robert Greening and the green team. Absolutely. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, or really any kind of personal injury that you might incur, call the green team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law Office, Dallas, Texas. Okay, so back in, uh, let, let's uh, let's kind of wrap up the draft side here. We have uh, we we have a sixth round and a seventh round pick, Angus McDonnell, McDonnell, and uh, and Sebastian Bradshaw. Um, any, anything stand out there? Yeah, I can say a couple things on both players. So McDonnell, he kind of went in the range that we at McKean's expected him to. This is sort of where we had him pegged. And he's a, he's a player that definitely could still play his way into the NHL one day, uh, even though he was picked in the sixth round. He's kind of an all heart and soul kind of player. Not the biggest guy, but just a great work ethic on him. Pretty smart. Uh, has a nice scoring touch around the net. Can play center. He's more he's going to be more of like an energy bottom six center at the NHL level. But he's a guy with good character. You know, he was a first round pick in the OHL draft. 
So, you know, he, he was a, a player who played up in the lineup at, at lower levels. And he's in a position where he should be a go-to guy on his team uh, for the next couple of years. He's in a bit of a rebuilding situation there with uh, with Mississauga. So he's going to get a lot of minutes. He's going to get a chance to grow his game. He'll be at a he'll be in a good opportunity there. So you know he's someone that'll be interesting to keep an eye on for this type this part of the draft. You want to find guys that have something that they can hang their hat on. And with McDonnell, that's his work ethic. It's his tenacity. It's his smarts. It's his ability to kill penalties. Um, so that's the sort of player he is. And I'll also say that at the World Under-18 Championship uh, in the spring, he's actually a guy who played up the he played um, up in the lineup on Canada's roster. He started as more of like a fourth liner. He was playing on the third line by the end of it, getting a regular shift when the team was in, in trouble. There, he's a guy that won over their coaching staff there, and you know he moved up their lineup because he was playing so well, which speaks a little bit to to what he's like as a player. Um, with Sebastian Bradshaw, I don't have much of a book on him, to be honest. He's not a player that we ranked. He's not a player that I've seen even on video. He played uh, in like the high school circuit, like the prep circuit, and it's harder to scout those guys sometimes. But what I do find interesting about him, and this kind of comes into my backyard, is that he's been recruited to play for a team called the Brooks Bandits in the AJHL. And for those who don't know the Brooks Bandits, they are the evil empire of not just the AJHL, but all of uh, Junior A hockey in Canada. They win the AJHL all the time. They win the national title all the time. Like this year, if you just look up their win and loss record, it's absurd. Like they're just a team that steamrolls everybody. But with the recruiting rules for these leagues, there's not a lot of restrictions there. Like there's a lot of freedom for how a team like Brooks recruits. So I think it says something pretty good about Sebastian Bradshaw that Brooks, with all of the options they have for players, because so many players want to play for such a you know a dominant team, they liked something about Bradshaw and they wanted to bring him into their fold. So I think that's a pretty good sign there. His development certainly in great hands. I mean, this is a team that had two players that played on their team this year get drafted. Sorry, no, three players on their team uh, got drafted out of Brooks this year. So yeah, that's that's a pretty good place for him to be. Um, obviously, I, don't, I can't say much about his upside or what he's going to be like as a player, but you, you can at least rest assured that his development is in pretty good hands. And for a seventh-round pick, that's that's at least something to work with. Yeah, I mean, at, at a seventh-round pick, you're rolling the dice, so, uh, so you might as well take a shot. Yeah, exactly. Every player who's still going to be on the board at that point has, you know, there, there are limitations, there are things to worry about, so... Like I said, with McDonnell, you find something to like, and you you hope that he can grow that. So with Bradshaw, he's six foot four. Um, he scored, you know, at a point per game at at the level he played at this year. So maybe there's some offensive upside there, and maybe that's the type of player the Stars are hoping he grows into—a big guy who can develop the skill aspect of his game as he as he moves up levels. Okay, let's uh, let's do a little transition here because I, I think uh, as we start seeing uh, some players from previous drafts getting to the point now where they're ready to make a debut at the AHL, uh, I, I think there's some interesting things that are going on with that group, and, and particularly on defense, where where the Texas Stars lost a significant portion of their uh, of their senior defending leadership 
and, and really have some some guys, some young draft guys who are going to be getting their first full time AHL experience in. So you know, here here we're talking about who who all's in here. Uh, Leon Bichelle, uh, Grishnikov. It, it's unclear to me is is, is Kairou still still uh, OHL one more year? Do you, do you know? He should be turning pro this year. So even though he was drafted last year, he was a late birthday. So as a 2003 birthday, he is eligible to play in the AHL this year. If he goes back to the OHL, it'll be for his overage season. Uh, I haven't read anything about where the Stars hope he plays, but I would expect him to play in the AHL. Yeah, he's still he's still 19, but he's he's like a September birthday or something like that. Yes. His expectation is he's going pro. Okay. I talked to him and caught up with him at development camp, and he he seemed to indicate that he's expecting to start the season in Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and then the, the the other guy there is uh, is potentially Gavin White. So so you have potentially four uh, four brand new AHLers who are coming in and uh, and are going to be paired off with some some veterans on the on the blue line. But it's going to be kind of a make-or-break season here. It's not that senior leadership that we're used to with Texas. Any any, any comments? And let's let's maybe start with Grishnikov because I think uh, uh, yeah. people have been waiting for him for a while. I don't know that I would call it a make-or-break year for Texas. I think that the staff and everyone I spoke with at development camp, they recognize how young the team is going to get. They have a lot of guys that are going to be graduating up and expected to come over. Leon Bixel is expected to start there potentially. You know, he's he Jim Nill said he's coming over to get used to the North American game. Kairu, you've got Logan Stankoven who's going to be graduating up and a whole host of other guys. And so I think that the the staff at least is looking at it as we need to be cognizant of development. Not that they aren't under normal circumstances but that they recognize that this year is going to be a little different, that maybe they aren't going to have that leadership, but they, it will give the opportunity to guys like Maverick Bork, if he's still down there, Antonio Strangis, those guys who have been under Neil Graham and his staff in Texas, um, he's going to be looking at them to take major jumps in terms of leadership and confidence and things like that. So I don't know that I would call it a make or break for anybody in this organization at that level. Well, and here maybe maybe I, I termed that incorrectly. I was I was mostly speaking about the defense, and, and the defense in Texas has been fairly senior senior led. You you had you had Will Butcher in there. You've had Petrovic in there. Um, you you had Ryan Shea who had a couple of years in. You had you had oh, Ben Gleason in there, and so that there Michael Caro may have been the, uh, the the one young guy who was getting a lot of time, and now now you're really going to be probably rolling out three veterans and, and three rookies, and, and that's uh, that's pretty young, and so it's going to be there are going to be some development issues, which I which is what you're saying. At the same time, it's also a good problem to have. It means that the scouts have done a good job and the development staff, you know, working with these guys over the last two or three years, they've done a good job because when you've got players who've come up through the system and they're, they're too good to send back to the, to their junior leagues or, you know, they're guys who've earned their entry level contracts, then you need to make room for them on a roster. And sometimes that's the trade-off. Like last year, Texas was a competitive team had a lot of veterans, you know, they wanted to go far in the playoffs. 
this year, you know, there's just so many young guys that, like you said, have been are knocking on the door now. They're here. They're ready to play in the AHL. So it's not necessarily a bad problem to have. It's just part of the ebb and flow of of AHL hockey in that regard. Right. And, and it's kind of a transition year. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start talking about the defense, because I think the with, with Texas and, and the prospects, the, the, the forward group is probably a lot more solidified than the defense is. And, and the one nice thing about the defense is that you're bringing in rookies, but you're bringing in rookies who have a pretty solid pedigree. You're, you're, you're talking, you know, second round draft picks uh, pretty much throughout the board. And so these guys uh, that there's there's they have a skill level and it's going to be a matter of getting adjusting to the pro game. Mm-hmm. And you look at Bixell, for example, he's been playing pro over in Europe, which is a great sign. Uh, you've got Gavin White and Artem Grushnikov, who won an OHL title uh, with the Hamilton Bulldogs a couple years ago. So they're guys with high pedigree. Christian Cairo, not only is he a second rounder, his older brother Jordan is playing in the NHL. So Christian has at least an inside track on what professional hockey is like. I'm sure he's, you know, badgered his older brother with thousands of questions. So even though it's a younger group, it's a group that could still succeed you you've got and they've got a good mix like you've got grushnikov and bixel who are more of like the shutdown defensemen uh gavin white's a really good transition defenseman a really great skater kairu's a good offensive guy he might even be quarterbacking the power play in texas at points this season because he's such a good offensive player so the that the balance and the diversity of the players they have and the experience they have it's a good system to work around there's a good foundation there for them to grow with yeah, and here I, I think one of the interesting things, especially if Bixel is around, this is a this is a big physical unit, and and that's not something that we've seen in a while. Uh, you know, you, even you throw in somebody like Jared Rosberg, who's who's one of the veterans who's coming back, and everybody's big, everybody takes their hits. They they may be uh, rookies, but you're you're gonna have to fight your way through it. Taylor, what was your impression of of Bixel? Uh, but sorry, go on. What were you were no, gonna no. say first. No, you're good. Um, so unfortunately, Bixel, because he broke his foot, ankle, foot, something in that region, at the end of his season, or at some point earlier this summer, whenever that was, sorry, y'all, the days are blending together, but he was on like a 10 to 12 week timeline, and he hadn't quite been cleared for on ice yet. Um, so I know uh, Neil Graham said, you know, obviously that he was disappointed he wasn't going to be able to get on the ice. But, you know, the, but this coaching staff got some time to, you know, familiarize themselves with his, themselves with him, talk to him on a personal level, get to know what the guy's kind of like and what his temperament kind of is and, you know, talk to him about his season and things like that. So unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him. And, and I know that's incredibly frustrating I think for everybody involved because he was the first round draft pick for the stars last year because of the timing of the world juniors because of COVID impact still he went straight to training with his national team so he didn't come over for development camp last season he came over this year and then he isn't able to get on the ice so I think our first glimpse of him in in person um, will actually be training camp and That'll be probably really interesting to watch how he stacks up more than anybody in training camp, just because from my perspective, with him having played in a professional league, like in a good professional league, not just talking about like 
um, third tier, you know, something or other somewhere else, you know, he's been playing against physically developed men and adult men and, and doing re- relatively well from all accounts. So I'll be curious to see how, how far he, along he might look and what his adjustment to the smaller ice in North America might look like more than anything. Did you get a chance to meet him at development camp and talk to him? Yeah, um, he actually has really good English and is very comfortable doing interviews, so that's good. You know, he has a kind of what I would call quiet confidence. In a lot of ways, he remind, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Miro Haskinen in that regard. Like, just, yeah, I'm here. I'm doing my job. From all the scouting reports I've heard is he may be big, but he uses it more in the sense that Miro does in, like, he's always got to stick in the right place and shutting down passing lanes and, you know, doing a lot with his stick work more so than, you know, big bruising. Oh, let me finish my check every time. So I'd be curious to see how that, how that fits in, um, especially with the system that Texas runs. So what's funny about Bixel is that he can actually do both. And when he decides to turn on the mean side of his game, it's, a lot of fun to watch actually like when he decides to throw a hit or to be a little bit of a a physical presence like you you feel it like you feel those hits like shaking through the boards like he's a guy who can be a physically dominant player when he wants to and it's not always there a lot of the time he's happy to more play more of like a skating game and a puck movement game but i think he's going to be the type of guy who transitions really well to north america and the smaller ice and we've seen that at at tournaments and stuff because on the smaller ice like he's just everywhere and there's more contact on the smaller ice and guys just they bump off of him and he can just manhandle people with minimal effort. So there's so much upside to this player. And I just know that Stars fans are going to go crazy for him once once he's ready to make the full-time jump off to Dallas. The one thing I will say, which was hilarious for me from a personal perspective, is standing next to a man that's over a foot taller than myself. <laughs> he's 6'5", <laughs> without hockey skates on. He's 6'5". I am 5'2". So I basically, I wish at some point, sometimes I wish people would follow me around and take pictures of me in these situations because I had to have been craning my neck just to look up at him. Otherwise, I'm looking at basically his belly button. (laughs) He's a big dude. He's a big dude. Yeah, I mean, my my hope here is is the original pairing I want to see is is Bixel with, with Rosberg and just see the... That, that, that's almost the ultimate physically intimidating group that you could throw, throw out there. Rosberg is is an instigator. He gets in people's faces, but he does it mostly under control and gets people mad at him. And I, I think that's maybe something that Bixel, from what I've seen, could use a little mentoring on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Like he's There's still a certain amount of immaturity to his game, which is to be expected. I mean, he is still just 19, I believe. You know, he's got a long he's way to 18, go. 18, I think, isn't 18, he? yeah. And, you know, he was, he's been playing away from home for a while. You know, he's Swiss-born, but he's been playing in Sweden. So, you know, that's even though there's still countries that are pretty close to each other, there's still a lot of culture shock there. He's actually playing in a pretty remote part of Sweden, in a smaller city. So it's a little bit different than playing in, like, Stockholm or something. 
But yeah, he I, I have all the faith in the world that Bixel's gonna figure this sort of thing out. From what I've seen in interviews and what I've heard about him, it seems like he's a really smart guy off the ice, really committed to his training and to his conditioning and to his eating habits and stuff like that. So he just he just strikes me as a guy who just understands like what he's capable of, what his tools are, what he's good at. And is really going to grow into that sort of role, into that sort of player in the long term. I, I think there's a lot of upside to him without very much risk. You know, it's interesting you say that about him living on his own since he was 16. That's, I think, one thing that kind of came out of development camp in my discussions with Neil Graham was a lot of people forget how big of a transition it is for a guy like Logan Stankoven who, I mean, even him, even more so than anybody else um, in the star system or maybe in most systems, he was able to play for his hometown junior junior hockey team. He lived at home. He hasn't even had a billet family, much less been living on his own. And when, you, when Neil kind of talked about that transition, you know, it's not just on-ice stuff that, that guys have to concern themselves with. It's how do I set up utilities and how do I pay my bills and how do I get my insurance set up and how do I do all of these adult things that he's now going to be required to do to learn how to live as well as learning how to be a professional hockey player in terms of your time management and keeping yourself accountable because you don't have people there to tell you, Hey, don't forget you need to do this, that, or the other. And that, transition can be hard for some guys like I think in a lot of ways a guy like Leon Bixel has a little bit of an advantage because he's already been doing those things in another country no less although I guess yeah. coming from a different country too but yeah but it, it's I mean that that tells you why it's important to have somebody like Curtis McKenzie down in Texas and and, and the things that Joe Pavelski's uh been able to do with Wyatt Johnson. I mean, that just takes so much of that kind of behind the scenes pressure off of the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And you know, but I think that that's one of the things when when we talk about expectations coming into this season, I know a lot of Stars fans were frustrated that Dallas went out and signed all of these free agent forwards, but they're kind of trying to relieve the pressure almost from a guy like Logan Sinkoven. You don't need to come in and make the Dallas roster immediately out of training camp. It's okay if you need time to transition to this new phase. And we're going to put the support system around you to make sure you have that you can do that, but not but we also need to like win games up here too. So uh, that's a lot of I think the rationale that's kind of gone into some of the decisions, but at the same time, they haven't signed <coughs> anybody else on Matt Duchesne. You haven't really signed anybody that you wouldn't be able to easily waive or potentially trade or whatever or bury in the minors if Stankoven forces the issue to that degree. And yeah, it's it, it's not going to hurt Stankoven at all if he starts the year in the AHL. I mean, Jason Robertson started in the AHL. Rope Hintz started in the AHL. Like, yeah, you get your Wyatt Johnstons and your Miro Haskinens who are able to jump right in. But if a guy doesn't, it's not something that people need to be worried or stressed about. And, you know, you could even make the argument with Maverick Bork, too. Like, he's a guy who probably could 
play in the NHL this year and hold his own. But is that necessarily the best thing for his development? Because he could be a first-line player if he goes back to Texas. Could be a guy who plays in all situations, gets more minutes than he did last year. You know, you want to make sure that guys are in the best spot for them. Don't put him in the NHL just because they could maybe survive. Like, you want a guy to thrive where he's playing, not just survive where he's playing. Well, and, and you take a look, you know, just last year, the, the way the way Bork started out playing for Texas and the way he finished were just so night and day. That development trajectory that he was on was incredible. And, and at the same time, you can take a look at what happened to Thomas Harley. He came out of the AHL well, he went into the AHL with a specific plan that was given to him. He executed it to perfection. And then by the time he was called up to the NHL, he was just ready to roll. And and there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same that you want a guy to be able to reach the speed of a full sprint to by the time you bring him into the NHL. You know, if you start him at the, in the NHL at the start of the season, they might be at like a walking pace. But with Harley, he was sprinting by the time he got called up. He was a guy who was really playing at the top of his game in the AHL. So by the time they called him up, he was ready for that jump. There was no doubt about it. You know, he was he was in like the peak of his form and it was just the, it was just the right time for him. So you got to be a little bit careful about that so it's actually funny with one of the players that dallas signed this summer sam Steele. he's the guy who was a former first round draft pick he was picked 30th overall by the anaheim ducks in 2016 he's a guy who played most of his original pro season in the ahl wound up getting called up to the nhl stayed in the nhl but then you know his game didn't quite take off he moved from anaheim to minnesota now he's moved from minnesota to dallas and you start to wonder, like, did Anaheim move too quickly with his development? Would he have benefited from one more year in the AHL where he became a dominant player and then was ready to make that transition? Like, did they put him in Anaheim and he was just kind of surviving? And, you know, when you're spending so much time treading water, it's hard to learn how to properly swim. So maybe that's the case there. I mean, I still I still like Sam Steele. He's a guy that I scouted in his draft year, and I hope he does really well in Dallas. I think he's a he's a player who could still offer more. But he's an interesting example of you know the how careful you have to be sometimes when you're developing prospects. Well, yeah, and that was definitely the case. I saw a bunch of Ducks years uh, games when when Steele was with them, and he was cast with 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 a bunch of grinders. And there was no way he was going to be able to show off his skill set. And so he kind of got within the fan base. And I think even with the coaching staff, got a little pigeonholed into a certain role that he he never was able to force his way out of. And, and I think a little bit with Minnesota, he got to play with the top line a bit. And, uh, and, and with Dallas, I think even if he's playing fourth line, we're likely to have a fourth line that's going to have some skill on it. And so he should be able to shine. Fun times all around here in Dallas. I think that we have talked a lot about all the prospects. I guess my last question for you, Derek, and it's always lovely to have you back and we miss you. And we're just so happy to see you doing well. And also congratulations on your impending nuptials. Very exciting. Thank thank you. Thank you. I, I certainly miss my defending Big D days. I look back on them fondly, but I'm glad to see that you guys are still doing great work without me. <laughs> um, but I guess last question to kind of to kind of wrap us up here. 
is for, that I have for you is kind of when you look at Dallas prospect system as a whole, do you feel like there's any big holes that they have or have they been able to build something that just has a lot of depth at a lot of different positions or kind of how do you assess Dallas in terms of their peers? Honestly, I think they've done very, very well for themselves, especially considering what they've had to work with. You know, they haven't picked very high in the last few drafts. You know, they had Haskin in at third overall, but since then it was, you know, Delandry at 13. They got to pick 18th overall in 2019, which was Thomas Harley. They got 23rd in 2021, 18th overall in 2022. So, you know, they've been put at a disadvantage with what they've had to work with. But they've really done a great job with what they've had. And they've got a very deep pool and a very balanced pool. It's funny. So as one example, um, this year they decided to not offer an entry-level contract to a player named Connor Roulette, who was picked in the fourth round in 2021, scored at a point-per-game pace in the WHL, was a guy who's played in the past with Hockey Canada. And some Stars fans were a little surprised that he didn't get a contract, but I think it was more of a sign of just how well the stars have done with their depth. You know, they've, they've done a really good job at finding value in the later rounds, like Francesco R. Curry. He was a sixth round pick. He's going to be turning pro this year. Uh, Remy Poirier was a sixth round pick. He had a great come up into, into Texas last year, you know, became something of an instant fan favorite guy. You can get the fans going, got in that big fight that one time. So like they're, they're finding a lot of value in the later rounds, which is always kind of the hardest part of the draft, but they're also doing well with their first and second round picks when they are making them. Like Harley is a great example. He's a guy who's come up through the system and it took a little bit of time, but for a guy picked 18th overall, I think his trajectory has been great, especially for defensemen. Maverick Bork's knocking on the door. Antonio Strangis has a lot of upside and he's had only a few chances to show up, but we're going to see more of it this year. And it's, and it's a good balance. Like they've got guys who can score. They've got guys who can make plays. They've got guys that uh, four at the different four positions, uh, maybe you could say that they could use maybe a little bit more sandpaper up front, you know, maybe more of a power forward type. I wouldn't say there's much of those in the system right now, but in terms of overall depth and balance, I think it's really good. You've got guys who, who have upside in net. You've got a lot of players with upside on defense and you almost forget that, you know, Wyatt Johnston could be considered a prospect right now, given his age, but he's already kind of graduated up to the NHL, which is obviously the the kind of the crown jewel of the stars is drafting and developing over the last few years. So, I mean, overall, I think they've done a really good job. And I think a lot has to be said, too, about how this organization has put key people in places of development. I, I don't think Rich Peverly gets nearly enough kudos and attention for the work that he put in over the last few years. Maybe he prefers to be a guy more in the background, but I think he's been just incredibly influential at making sure that all these prospects are developing the right way and, you know, maximizing their ability and their potential. And now Ben Bishop's going to be a guy doing the same sort of thing. So I think the stars deserve a lot of credit for not just scouting well and drafting well, but also creating an, a system for these players to come into and grow into on their path to the NHL. It's funny you say that because uh, we would be remiss without mentioning a couple of things that the Dallas Stars have been recognized for that you may not be aware of. Uh, first, 
there was Jim Nill winning the general manager of the year award, which uh, according to everyone uh, who blew up my phone, <laughs> he was like, it was barely a blip on the ESPN draft um, coverage. So you would be uh, excused from, from real, not realizing that that had happened. Um, and then also another guy in the organization, Jason Radman or stretch as he's known around the organization um, was named like the top team services guy in the league. Stretch is responsible for all of the travel and getting guys from one place to another. He was the first call when the scouts, you know, had their, their crash and are like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Well, now what? Um, and he's trying to figure out how to get, get them to Nashville. And he's a behind the scenes guy that definitely doesn't get enough credit or recognition for what he does but i wanted to make sure that um everybody was aware that that he won that award and that's pretty cool that dallas is winning all sorts of things at all levels yeah and here i mean if we're talking if we're talking you know texas we have neil graham down there travis morin max fortunas i mean they've committed the right guys in the right spots to to make this transition as good as possible yeah, it's it's not it's so much more than just what the prospect does. Like you really need a whole system to help these guys out. You know, the trainers, the the people who work on the specific skills, like the skill coaches, like the nutritionists who make sure that they're always eating right and taking care of their bodies right. Like there's so much of that side of things that's so important. And I think the stars just as an organization almost had to learn that lesson the hard way because that wasn't always the case. You know, when the team was going through bankruptcy and stuff, they didn't have the same finances that they could put towards those, those not so flashy resources, those behind the scenes resources, you know, the story of Jack Campbell, for example, and not having a dedicated goalie coach with the team to kind of help them like that sort of thing, you know, that makes a huge difference. So I think the stars deserve a lot of credit because from everything I've heard, they've got all the right kind of people in all of the different corners of the organization to make sure that these young players are coming in and getting everything that they need and all the help that they require to kind of grow and adapt to being professional athletes. Appreciate your time, Derek. Uh, thanks for coming on, Taylor. Uh, you, you know you can always uh, read everything people are doing uh, at Defending Big D. Uh, Derek, if, if people want to get your words of wisdom, uh, where can they follow you? Uh, well, right now, Twitter's still the best place, but we'll see how that how long yeah. that lasts. Uh, I'll probably be making the switch to Threads or Blue Sky or something in the near future. But for now, Twitter's my hub. Um, you know, we got links to everything that we do at McKean's. Uh, all, I'm always just tweeting throughout the year of different you know, bits of information about what's going on in the scouting world or the hockey world. Trying to post video clips of players that I'm scouting and watching uh, in the next couple of weeks here. <laughs> to cut, tie it back to the start of this podcast and talking about summer, I'll probably be attending the Hockey Canada camp for the upcoming Holinka Gretzky Cup tournament here in Calgary, which is nice. It's close to where I live, so I'm going to be able to go and watch a lot of the 2024 top prospects uh, in this camp as they try and show their stuff. So I will be uh, sharing some tweets and thoughts about that. If anyone is crazy like I am and wants to get a July start, on the 2024 <laughs> NHL entry draft. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate all your time, and uh, we're out.
This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.